Welcome back to Watch and Wonder. I'm your host, Josh Madden, taking a break from my day job. Coming up, we've got the 2008 neo-noir stage play adaptation, Doubt, starring Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman. I apologize in advance for a bit of raspiness on my part this episode. I've been getting over a bit of hay fever when we recorded this last week. Um, Hopefully it's not too much of a distraction. On the pod today, I'm joined by an old friend from grad school, Derek Driscoll. But first, a brief content warning. Today's film is directed towards mature audiences, and our conversation today will reflect that. As such, though we are committed to bringing you wholesome entertainment content, today's episode may not be appropriate for all audiences. One last note, I have to say, I've never thought about Frosty the Snowman like that. Well, here we go. So what were your thoughts like right off the bat? Well, I think initially as a, as a Catholic, you're always, when there's a movie like this done, you're always precautious. You're like, oh, well, so what are they going to put us through? What's going to be skewed? What's going to be portrayed in a, uh, maybe in not the right light. But um, I, I think my expectations were, were, uh, I was pretty pleased with, with how things were portrayed, honestly. Yeah, it was actually surprisingly accurate, I right. think. Not just yeah. for the different sort of theological or liturgical or sort of institutional things, but right. you're right. I mean, you expect this kind of skewering of the church and not, I mean, not, and not just the Catholic church, right. But it's kind of anything I feel like that has to deal with religion or ideology or anything like that. Everything just becomes hagiography for whatever side you happen to be on, especially like for Americans and the modern West where we can only think in, in pairs, you know, right. <laughs> either yeah, it's yeah. good or it's bad or it's, uh, it's this way or it's that way. Um, but it really, I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree. It seemed to be one of the more honest depictions of trouble in the church that I can remember having seen, right? Even if there's, yep. you know, you can quibble with a few of the problems of how certain things are portrayed or, you know, even though it's dealing with something really uncomfortable, it seems right. like ultimately it, you know, it presented the various issues, which, you know, we'll get into, right, in a way that was pretty, pretty fair, I thought, and pretty yeah. nuanced. And, and maybe that's a result of it sort of intentionally being vague in my mind. But I think it really let you see that while, you know, I, I don't think there was any any sort of vague vagueness as far as, you know, what what was actually right or wrong about what right. they're talking about. Right. But when there's a lack of that sort of clear cut um, evidence, right, you, you can see how things aren't so easily dealt with in real life. Yeah, right? Obviously not to excuse anything that we're talking about. Right. But it's it's that's, I think, one of the things I've continued to think about. Right. How difficult even like for me, it's become to trust people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the hierarchy in particular, I think that's, that's where for Americans, we almost have an automatic distrust and 
that's something that that I find myself having to overcome, uh, and and you know always thinking that we know best and that sort of thing. But it very well um, allows you to or, or plays plays the mind games. You you don't know for a while who who's telling the truth, who's lying, their motivations. It's it's very as you said, it's nuanced, and, and that's one thing that I, I really enjoyed about this film. Yeah, especially after becoming a parent, I think, too, and you start to, you know, because when it's just you or you don't have kids or whatever it happens to be, it's it's more, you're a lot more, or a lot less, I guess, a lot less risk-averse to certain things. It's right. just you you're thinking about, right. right? But then you have kids, and you start thinking about, okay, well, who can I trust who can I entrust them to? Who can I have Absolutely. them around? Um, and and especially after everything, not just in the modern world that seems to have become so dangerous, I guess, in a certain way. At least that's the caricature, right? You know, like when we, you know, even when I was growing up, though, that's the thing. Like, I'm a millennial. I was I was still a kid, I was still a teenager, whatever, 10, no, not more than 10, like 15 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would just go out in the summer in the morning and not come home till dark. And it wasn't like, you know, it, you know, leave it to Beaver sort of just I could be <laughs> gone for a week and my parents will notice and it doesn't matter because nothing bad will happen. But it was still even when I was a right. kid, a little yeah. bit more. All right. Well, see you at dinner, I think. And then there you go. But now it's like. You know, if I don't know where someone is for two minutes, I kind of like freak out. And so, you know, I'm sure there's some sure. kind of like paranoia there for but that. But but in this particular situation that the film's dealing with, right, I I wasn't Catholic when uh, yeah. all of the scandals were sort of coming out, like in mm. in, in Boston, right, in the early yeah. 2000s. At that point, I was just a... I don't even know how to describe myself, but then sort of an, an aloof Presbyterian middle schooler or teenager. I get, you know, it's somewhere <laughs> yeah. around there, depending on so, what it was. Right. So this wasn't retain. even a thing on my yeah. radar, right. right. In, in my own existence until much, much later after I became Catholic and started to pay attention to things and sort of realize what was happening. And cause I, I think, the only thing, the only Catholic thing I can remember from before I became Catholic was I was in school one day and um, I guess John Paul died. Mm. I think maybe that's what it was. I, something about, even even that is like really vague in my head. It was like something about the Pope, right. I think. Uh, <laughs> you know, and of course it's probably like my history class or something that someone mentioned. It's like, okay, like... That's fine, I guess. It's just what's the purpose? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't exactly in your wheelhouse at that point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it it, it totally wasn't. But I think this show in this you know so obviously this film is not like um what's the one is it Spotlight that they do on the actual sort of Boston right. journalism yeah. scandal? That's but this seems to really right. This showed, I think, at least in my mind, not having you know been even around, obviously not been around in the 60s in the Bronx, but not having yeah. been around in the church 20 years ago, right, it seems to show how difficult it was to come to grips with, like, what's happening at the time, and what's always yeah. going to be an issue in reality, right, the abuse of power by those who should be above suspicion, right, because that's part of what right. makes it so, not that it's not just, 
not that these issues aren't terrible in themselves, but for something like the church, from both an inside and outside perspective, there's a bunch of different layers to this film where it's clearly about, right, it has this particular story, but it's dealing with sort of macro issues at the same time, right? These larger issues are certain, I mean, it's, it's called, I mean, it's called doubt. Right. I mean, it's like, well, what's the movie about? Well, I mean, <laughs> right. It's these larger <laughs> issues of certainty and doubt, right, that are dealt with in this micro story of this specific event. So we can get into that uh, first. Right. Who do you, So, I mean, just maybe just to spoil. I don't think this will spoil it. I'm like, I, I was trying to debate whether to ask you this question at the very beginning or the very end. But I think I'll just ask it now. Who do you believe? Uh, right. What do you think happened? So I figure we'd like, if someone's well, listening to this, they're probably going to wonder like what they actually think the whole time. So we might as well just get out of the way. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I think it becomes pretty clear um, that he's guilty. Uh, and or at least that's my take because mm. uh, the way she approached it is his reaction to her noble lie, if you will. It, I, I think it's believable. His resignation at the end um, it doesn't really make much sense if it's not true. Because that was – the first time I watched it, I think I was comfortable with the ambiguity. And I think to a, to a certain right. extent, that's where you're supposed to end up. There's just something about this. And one of the things yeah. I really like is that it really does – because it, it was a stage play first, right? And it was yes. adapted yeah. by the same author for the screen, and I think that really comes through. I mean, there's, there's, you could basically do this this movie with like six people, right? You've got your three main yeah. characters, and then you've got you know one or two of the kids maybe, and then the mother, and and you'd probably be fun. Like you could do it all with like half a dozen people probably, and that really yeah. comes through. So the first time I watched this, I think it did what it was supposed to do, and it almost seems like it's meant to it's like a rorschach test in a particular way right it's this sort of very vague ambiguous image and it almost kind of says more about who the person watching it than right yeah the individual truth, yeah. yeah the second time through though i think and again maybe this is just me projecting or like thinking <laughs> okay well i think this is what it's supposed to be so those are the details i'm gonna follow. that's the thread i'm gonna follow and yeah. think is most convincing and you know you could probably have someone else who sort of is convinced of the opposite I, i'm not sure um but i agree with you i think that there you start the first half is really ambiguous i think yeah absolutely and then i think it's i think it is true that sort of once you once you hit halfway once you hit that major midpoint scene of the three of them in the big green room i think that's the moment that i think the bricks start to fall for me at least yeah. um so yeah and then, yeah. then the argument so, mm-hmm. of just the two when it's pouring down rain or light ends up busting out again and he all but it he all but admits it he definitely has places where he can deny and does not and then uh-huh then, then you know she she does she makes up that lie about contacting the other sister or whatever right. from the pe- previous parish but yeah i think yeah i, I yeah, agree so, i think it's okay good all right yeah because i was really curious what what your thought was because i i don't i haven't really i don't think i've talked to anybody else about this particular movie and so i was wondering well is it just me am mm-hmm. i just sort of seeing this um or you know is it made like my perspective as a 
parent that pushes me onto the side of Sister Aloysius or, or you know, I'm not sure what it right. was. So, um, yeah, that, so that was really curious. I was really interested in, in what you <laughs> were thinking. Yeah, well, I'm glad we concur. Okay, good. All right, so obviously the movie's about doubt, right? But something I think, um, you know, depending on who you are, and where, what your background is and where you come from. There's a lot of other things that play into the way that the narrative works that I think is really interesting if you just know a little bit about the history of both the church at the time and America at the time. Right. 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 So the fact that it's set in, it started, so it's 1964, it's in New York, it's in the Bronx, right? You, you get the who... Oh, it is, it is the sisters' conversation, right? They talk about how, okay, this is a parish that serves, right? What is it? The Irish and the Italians, right? There in the Bronx. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think you get, I, at least my impression in the in the very first scene where the little where the little boy like, runs out and you've got the old guy just sitting there playing his little instrument. And he's like, oh, hey, run down and get me you know, a newspaper and cigarettes. And he's like, no, yeah. I got to go serve mass and runs away. Like, I'm, like my impression was, okay, like there's also like a Jewish. I Like my impression was that he was Jewish. Um, and so like, there's also like a Jewish community around. So it's pretty, I mean, it's a pretty ethnic right. location, right? Not, not really not being from New York myself. So I don't really know sort of what the reality of that would have been then, but right. It's 1964 Vatican II is happening from 62 to 65. So it would have been happening right at this time. Um, yeah. the changes to the mass happen at the end of 69, I think in Advent, I think that's, that's when it starts. So like, it's, it's right before that happens too. So that was another thing I was really watching for. I was like, okay, are they sort of, are they depicting the, like the church and the liturgical situations correctly? Cause I mean, most, most TVs and movies just get all of that totally wrong. Right. It'll be like, Oh, they're supposed to be Catholic, but it's obviously shot in like a, like an, you know, an Anglican, church or you know or something like that you know where it's it's very obviously not like set up properly or you know but i think it looked i mean wherever they shot that church was really really beautiful first of all it was yeah it was Uh, and then it looked like i don't know if you noticed anything i missed but it looked like they had everything set up properly for the pre sort of the pre novus ordo mass like everything Mm -hmm. was set up correctly i think unless i missed something here i have a question I, I don't know the answer to this because they start the first time you see the church they have the choir singing a hymn in english yeah and so that like that's an, do you, was that did they do that in the 60s i tried and to look I, up the answer to this and it was no, like I, I got answers I yes and no okay mm. Yeah, because I just wasn't no, sure. Because I got, I saw different answers, and the closest thing I got, I think, was that sometime in the forties and fifties, like certain parishes, or I don't, I don't, I don't think it was canon law or anything, but like some some permissions were given to do hymns in the vernacular, and so like that, you know, as part of the like the liturgical movement that was happening in the first half of the second century. So that, that's almost sort of like your first clue that maybe. Like you're dealing with a more, yeah, I, I hate like this word, right? But like a more progressive sort of right. Irish kind of idea, right? Okay, well, right. Let's look, we're doing this in English, and and here's what it is, right? And so then you you obviously get into other other issues down the road. Um, 
Right. But yeah, so I, I didn't know the answer. I was just curious if you if you knew. So that's, that's that would be an interesting thing to ask someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, yeah, um, I could put you in touch with someone who could probably know, but no, I I can't give you the answer. Maybe I'll ask one of the uh, next time I'm at mass. I'll ask one of the oratorians. They they tend to know what they're yeah. doing liturgically speaking. The liturgy so. buffs, right? Uh huh. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, another thing that I I noticed on the first viewing that was really obvious. So like with the whole Vatican II idea, like as soon as as soon as the second instance in in the movie of the wind being a character, I immediately thought because it's throughout the movie that's it's always it's there's at least half a dozen instances where someone is commenting on the wind or who you know who left my window open it's really windy or oh, uh, yeah. the it's, wind last night and everything else yeah. right it made me think of because is um I didn't I didn't look this up but. I seem to recall John the 23rd, right? Pope John the 23rd opening the second Vatican council, talking about something about needing to open the window and letting in the fresh air, right? To sort of re right. refurbish right. or sort of re resuscitate yeah, that, the church. Right. Yeah. 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 I can't remember it either, but that does strike a bell. Yeah, because there's there's that moment, and I, I I didn't notice it the first time. I noticed it more recently, in the the classroom scene where Sister Aloysius takes Sister, is it Sister James, who's the the young one. I think that's her name. Um, right, takes her into the classroom, yeah. and they're talking, and she's like, "Oh, you should put up a picture of the Pope, right?" And and of course, like for for Sister Aloysius, it's not just it's not just piety. It's also like, oh, yeah, and you can use the, yeah, the reflection yeah, yeah. in the glass to, to watch behind you, right? right. It's a picture of Pius the Twelfth, right? Yeah. And it's this is another in this, and there's this dichotomy throughout the whole thing of the right new versus old, right progressive yeah. versus tradition and everything else. And she's holding up a picture of Pius the Twelfth, and and Sister James is like, "Oh, he's dead," and she's <laughs> like, "Oh, it doesn't matter, right?" And of course, right. right? It's Pius the Twelfth, and then the next one's John the Twenty Third. So it's again this sort of like juxtaposition of right the old ways versus the new ways. For and sure. So just I mean, it's like on top of being just like a funny moment. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's fine. It doesn't matter if he's dead. You'll just be able to watch, you know, what's happening behind you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's but, just a mirror, really. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's just really, really interesting. <laughs> Let's see. Another. So the whole the whole film is this really interesting play in contrasts. One of the first ones I think they notice. Um, that I noticed that they show you is the contrast between the way that the the women religious live and the way that the priests live. Yeah, like absolutely. When they're eating dinner, that was so absolutely. Funny. Yeah, what well, really helps set the scene and, and develop the characters as well. <laughs> the father's like drinking and smoking with <laughs> with uh, Monsignor or whoever it was, and, uh-huh. and they're they're sitting around not speaking. Yeah, the timer goes off, and <laughs> then they're allowed to talk. I know they're drinking milk, 
Oh, yeah, like, right. I, I don't even remember the last time I drank a glass of milk. I mean, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe I'm going to get osteoporosis or something. And But, yeah, they're just sitting around in, the, like, in silence drinking milk. And then the next shot, this, like, huge bloody roast beef. And they're, like, right, yelling at each right. other, like, through, like, clouds of smoke. And everyone has, right. like, a different, there's, like, I think each of the three of them have a different kind of alcohol. And Oh, that's great. I didn't like, even pick that making up. Fun of this, making fun of this fat woman that, like, the pre spoke to and it's it's just this radical like shocking distinction right which i mean i don't know if it was the first time but like up, up until that point most of the time it almost seems like it's setting you up this very sort of simple black and white right okay sister aloysius mean and nasty um right. sister james like okay like maybe a little naive but you know young optimistic kind and you know father right. flynn he's like he's the cool progressive like priest who wants to sort of do things differently and he, he's the one who actually talks to everyone and he's nice and everything else and right but then you see that scene and you then you, you at least in mind it was like oh, okay well this is not going to be the way that maybe you expect the story to go right mm-hmm. because it becomes so much more nuanced after that sort of very initial you know very simple sort of setup these are our three characters these two are right. good this one's bad or you know mean and nasty and, and whatever um right. so that was that was really, really interesting, I think. Yeah, and, and you're not even, it's like, well, is she just, is she good or is she rigid? What's what's the deal here? Because for me, that's that's one of the major questions at the beginning is who who is good? I, I, I had a very hard time with that. Um, yeah, and I okay, think so they, like, I've got obviously, like a whole list of que- Yeah, I got like yeah. a whole list of questions to ask that was my number one question right is sister right. Aloysius, you know is sister Aloysius merely abrasive or is she actually bad right right, right. that's one of the major right. questions yeah. i think yeah i think i think it mostly settles it but then at the end you know you're also like man i don't know the question of humanity is really present throughout uh-huh yeah the yeah. last scene right where she admits that she she right like you said like the the note of the noble lie to try and sort of trap him into right that like if if they hadn't included that i would have sort of finished the movie being like well she's clearly the hero and she's almost like untouchable in my opinion by the end Mm -hmm. once she admits that then it gets a messier right but but even with that, I found her to be the most sympathetic character by the end, even though she's set up to be the least sympathetic character in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons, it seems to me, is that she consistently is the most transparent, right? Where she That's readily true. admits, like, bad things that she's done, right? She's very right. quick to answer things right, right. she and it's like with the with the radio right the kid gets into like she confiscates the radio and like you know <laughs> yeah. basically you know, reams him out for it and takes it away and then later on when um when donald's mother comes yeah. in she's like oh i didn't hear you i was listening to the radio that i took away from this right kid. exactly uh, listening does, to like, news reports trying, yeah exactly she didn't try and hide it or like say oh like i just didn't hear you and like slip it in a drawer or something she's just like oh yeah i was listening yeah, i took this away from this kid but i was listening to it and it's really interesting yeah. right right um, yeah that's great 
And she also, I mean, there were so many moments where she actually seemed extremely kind or conscientious, mm-hmm. even against mm-hmm. this sort of image that she's built up. Because that's what it seemed to me. It seemed like she had built up this image of herself that she projected right. to the world because she was convinced that this is the best way for me to be who I'm supposed to be for this community. And then would yeah, consistently for the running of the school, yeah. Exactly. Like almost act against that sort of harsh image to try and be more kind or more sort of receptive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially like Donald's mother. End. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's this this kindness that sort of lies beneath the surface or she walks Donald's mother back to work. She's like, Oh, how much time do you have? Right. And it's like, Oh, I know it's difficult. And you know, let, let me walk you to work. And you know, yeah. And then she sees you, know. you see, you see uh, that she cares for Donald more than it seems the mother does in some way that she's really going to fight for the truth of matter to spare him from the priests and this, and whereas the mother's going to let him endure so he can graduate, mm-hmm. continue on with life. Right. Yeah. So she she seems really genuinely right. And again, at the beginning, right, she walks through the classroom. I mean, the first image you get of her is her sort of you know, stalking up the aisle, you know, smacking kids on the back of the head and masks. Yeah, be quiet, yeah. Right. But by the end, it's, you know, she's trying to find ways to make sure that, you know, blind sister doesn't, you know, get kicked out and. You know, she's walking Donald's <laughs> mother to work and, you know, she keeps, yeah, she, she keeps trying to replace this light bulb on her own that keeps going out. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then, so what about, so we can talk about um, Father Flynn in a minute, right? But what I, I still, by the end, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to think about Sister James, like whether or not she just... Is she willingly sort of blinding herself? Is she just sort of silly and naive and optimistic? Or I just, I'm not sure. She was the most sort of quizzical person for me to try yeah, no, to understand. I have, I have no answer for that one. I, I would agree as well. I, and I don't think that they really allow you to delve too much into that. Uh, just because it's the war between sister Aloysius and father is so so prominent she's and then she goes away for her brother and you know Uh i don't know there could be could have been some maturing in her thought there but yeah it it kind of leaves you hanging on that yeah part part of me thinks it's almost it's at least half like half due to the fact that she's attempting to compete with meryl streep and philip seymour hoffman that she just sort of gets played (laughs) off the screen (laughs) um but it's also the writing too right it's also the right she's you know she's very clearly this you're rooting for her at least most of the time i don't think there was ever a time where it's like oh gosh i really hate sister james i just wish you know but yeah, there, no. there's never, never that right but she's very clearly easy to root for at least at the beginning she gets a little more wishy-washy by the end she almost seems like she's got this sort of charlie brown character where she just sort of gets you know swayed with the wind whoever happens she happens to be talking to at the time she sort of right. like agrees with and you know yeah. is that kind of, well is it she's just young or she's just trying you know she just wants to be like to fit in she just wants to work um but i mean i think i think sister aloysius's judgment that she's just simply naive and it's very innocent i think that's probably the best way to take that particular character because yeah she seems like the way that a lot of people talk about 
how things were handled back then, right? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of you could a lot of people could look at this and maybe that aren't super familiar with the era or the way things worked and sort of criticize the right Meryl Streep's character and like, oh well, that's not how it was dealt with. Like nobody talked like this. No one would have sort of been thinking like this, and everyone was sort of like right. Sister James. Everyone's just sort of naive and trusting everything right. else. And I just don't think that that's true. I mean, yeah. like she says, right? There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, like you just go back in church history, and you've got, you know, fifteen hundred years ago, you've got some of the church fathers basically saying, uh, yeah, the whole hierarchy is like perverted and corrupt. Like no one is doing right, what they're right. supposed to do. Right. So this yeah. isn't some sort of unique like. Like 20th century phenomenon where all of a sudden like oh people are bad now like, no people are bad forever right <laughs> yeah, people true. have always been bad and it's yeah. just you know there's just sort of maybe this sort of repressive culture where you didn't talk about it where then obviously you have like this you know this overreaction in um in in culture afterwards to that kind of maybe social pressure um, in something like the sexual revolution, which sort of swings the pendulum the complete opposite way, right? But um, yeah. yeah, so that's that's really interesting. And my, I mean, my take, maybe you'd be, I don't know. Father Flynn is just by the end, it's just he's a narcissist. Like, that's com- whether yeah. whether you think he's guilty or not, I think he's just yeah. completely yeah. consumed with himself. Right. And I think that the first instance right. that I noticed, right, they, so like that major scene, that major middle scene where they finally all three meet and they walk in and he just goes and like sits in her chair. Like right. behind the he desk. does it multiple times throughout the movie. Yeah. yeah. She, does, she doesn't say anything, but the look on her face is just so funny. She's like, what, what are you doing? Like that's it's like it's the principal's office and he just comes in and sits down. And so that was yeah. really funny. Um, his, his he's sorry he he always has leaves a question because you do see him and this is part of the the intentional vagueness that I think you're talking about man throughout throughout the movie he's helping Donald pick up his books and he seems to also authentically care and even when when talking about in the I think it was a fight scene not fight scene like it's a boxing movie. But in the, in the argument uh, <laughs> between Ian like and Sister Alvin, yeah, it could have been. But they, uh, he said, he, he argues really that he cares for the students. And to me, the, the facial expression, the, the tone, it was, it was believable. And, and so the, the mixture between good and evil is uh, in his character is kind of ever present to me. I mean, I, I would agree he's a narcissist, but I, I, that question also is present. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that he does genuinely care. And I think that's what makes, at the very end, that fin- the final confrontation scene between the two of them. She accuses, Sister Elwish just accuses him of using um, mental reservation like when he's oh, denying yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. right? And the first time, I don't think, I think he's just is not telling the truth. But the second time where he, like like you said before, he almost admits his guilt. I think yeah. that's when he is using the sort of the loophole of mental reservation, you know, mm-hmm. which, which for somebody who's not familiar with the term, right? This, the idea of sort of the philosophy of, of truth and lies, this idea of mental reservation where you can think, where you can say something that's true, 
but it's only partially true. So you say right. the thing that's actually true. And he says, oh, I, I, I did nothing wrong. I only cared about him. Mm. In his mind, anything he could have done, that he could probably say that at least in partial truth, right? Right. That like, yeah, what, absolutely. What if, if he was guilty, right, of being a predator in this instance, it mm. would be admixed with this sort of sense of compassion and empathy, um, because he's constantly trying to like find common ground with the other characters, right? He says it about Sister Aloysius. He says it about Sister James, and he says it about. I think he says it about Donald, right? This idea that they're sort of more loner, more individuals, or sort of maybe right. just misunderstood. This kind of thing, right? right? So and, I think that you're right. Yeah, and I think I think that's another thing that even Sister pointed out in the movie. She's like, these kind of people are smart. And, and there's some truth behind it. There's some truth as to why predatory, assuming he is, predatory um, individuals target the weak. So there's always kind of suspicion if the kid's acting weird, you know. It's, it could be his home life. It could be something else. The evidence is it's a weak evidence point. So, yeah, I think... Uh, he is yeah, he's smart yeah and he plays mm-hmm. it well yeah one of the things that's really interesting about the film sort of central conceit of you it basically it just it asks you to be asking this question the entire time right like mm-hmm. who who are these people what has this person done and can you be sure right it reminded me of have you read <laughs> What is it? It's Newman's um, grammar of ascent, where he talks about what he calls the illative sense. Yes, but it's been it's been yeah, a bit. So it's this, so basically it's one of his it's one of his ways of talking about the argument for the existence of God, and or just mm. the supernatural in general, if I if memory serves. And it basically goes like this: It basically you know there there may not ever be one thing that you could point to and say, "Aha, I've proved it! Right? I've proved it." Mm. But in general human experience, usually the way our experiences work is there's very few things in life that you can say, oh, here's this one thing that I can point to concretely that I can prove why I think or feel this way. Usually the way things work in our lives is that there's a kind of whole conglomeration of different things that push us in a particular direction. And anyone on their own may not be convincing, but when you take the whole constellation of them, the image begins to emerge. And it seems like that's exactly what Sister Aloysius is talking about, especially by the end, right? She's so certain, even if, like she says, no, I can't prove it, right? Because that's what he says at the end, right? No, you're you're not proving this. This is an emotion that you're having, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he accuses her of simply acting on emotion because she doesn't have any facts, right? But her experience, at least that she claims, right, This, this experience that she's had, Right, is sort of pushing her in this direction. So I thought that was really interesting. That's yeah. obviously never right. It's you know you don't have any you know she's not like oh well this is you know Newman's illative sense right. But that's that's sort of like the direction my mind <laughs> went because I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people, I think that that's really convincing right. Newman to me is is difficult to understand many times. But this this one particular thing, I think he hits on something that's really common to our experiences as human beings right that there's so many things that we like even the love of a a parent or a spouse or something right if you say well how do you know 
this person loves you, right? Any one mm-hmm. thing you say is not going to be proof or good enough, right? But after a whole lived right. experience of all, all the different moments, it becomes undeniable, right? So you may not be able to prove it, but your experience sort of shows that, no, this is actually true. And I think that that's where she's going with this. What is your take? So this is, this is less... This is less serious. Um, what's your take on Sister Aloysius's opinion on Frosty the Snowman? Because that was that was one of the funniest things I've seen. That's great. That's great. Nah, oh, man, he hit me with a blind spot there. That's one of the, that's that's one of the questions I wouldn't have anticipated coming up we're going to talk about this it's uh, like uh no clearly frosty is a snowman espouses a pagan belief in magic and it's demonic and <laughs> if you actually paid attention to the words without all the fancy singing and imagery like you would obviously know right you stood magic hat brings like a snowman animates a snowman and brings him to life like obviously we can't be singing about frosty the snowman <laughs> that is hilarious yeah no i i, I think it's typical of of when they were trying to frame her character. I don't know. That's all I can say. That's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause like that, like I thought that was so funny. It's just, okay. Sister Aloysius, she, uh, she hates ballpoint pens and she thinks Frosty the snowman <laughs> is uh, a demon conjured, yeah. you know, conjured with magic. That's that great. Just, I thought that was so funny. No um, doubt. Sister Jane at the end. And by the way, I love Frosty and Snowman. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, very courageous of her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is funny though because, like, after she goes, after she gives her like condemnation of Frosty, she's like, "Well, I guess we could do a." You know, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, like with her head in her hands, like staring at the floor. She's like, I guess that would be right. fine to make the parents happy. Like, you know, so she's not totally, she's not totally inflexible, but no Frosty yeah. and Snowman. <laughs> it's that warm heart coming out. Yeah, I wonder if that would have been on the. Um, wasn't there like a, a index of like forbidden films in the like early twentieth century? I wonder if. Uh, yeah. Frosty. Frosty was on the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, banned literature. Uh, <laughs> so they have. Um, it may have been in the same. It's probably later in the same conversation, right? They talk about something new happening specifically whether there's something new inside of people right and they have that disagreement because father flynn's like oh the church has to change we have to be more friendly right there's something new inside of people and she pushes back um i don't know like that's that that was one of the more interesting conversations that they didn't really pursue so like when you when when that when that part of the conversation came up I wasn't really sure. Like, what's what's your take on that? I mean, does Father Flynn have a point? You have to refresh me. I don't. I don't remember that. So I mean, I remember I vaguely. Same. But... Yeah, I think it's in the same conversation, right? Where he basically, she so far, Sister Aloysius has kind of been set up as you know, as you know, as he calls you know, he calls her the dragon, right? And so far, she kind of really seems right, like it, right. but. And, and, and so far, she, it almost seems like she really just kind of cares about tradition for the sake of tradition, not because yeah. she's really convinced it's better in a sort of intellectually substantial way. Yeah. Um, and so he talks about, he says, oh, we like we should refresh the, Christ- the Christmas pageant. So I think that's why they have the, the Frosty the Snowman conversation. Mm. Um, 
and then he sort of concludes he sort of he, he pushes the the humor of it aside at least for the audience um and basically says you know there's we we have to change the church has to change right there's something right. new in people that we have to respond to and right. she quotes ecclesiastes right there's nothing new under the sun mm. right and so her position is that no there isn't anything new we don't have to change because there isn't anything actually new and his position is like no there there definitely mm. is something new here um and i mean that's been part of the you know, at, at least in the States, right? The, the sort of culture war, even right. with sort of inter ecclesiastically of different sort of factions within the church. And, you know, no, we have to like, we have to stay with what we're doing because this is how we've done it, or this is how it was done for a long time, or no, we have to change because things have changed. Right. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It does, so you never had the middle position. The yeah. 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 No, I, I don't, as far as the film's concerned, I remember, vaguely at that point thinking that he was kind of one of these that um, is looking for the new just because it was new as you said but I, I can't rem- I can't remember I can't mm-hmm. remember that exact conversation but it is applicable yeah. I mean yeah that's just I think that it's just an it's another sort of step that they take right trying to at least that the, that the film is trying to not have you be on anyone's side because i mm. think you see both sides of it there right there is yeah. something right obviously new culturally speaking right outside the church and it's father's father flynn's position that okay well if there's something new happening outside the church then we have to adjust to it and right. so that sort of i think it's like at a half truth and then Sister Aloysius, right? No, there's nothing new under the sun, right? That's mm-hmm. is like a half truth too, right? It's not that. So right. she is, ext- right? She's extremely shrewd, right? She's not, you know, she's not a, she's not stupid, right? So I'm not sure she sees. Mm-hmm. I think she obviously sees that there are new things, but seems like her position is that, right? We have to keep what we've been doing, right? Because this is just what we have to keep doing, right? So at this point. You're not really sort of convinced either way. Um, yeah. It's just another thing that they do to sort of continue to have you ask this question. Again, the entire, like almost every single encounter is this sort of mirror, I think, that it puts up to whoever is watching it, right? Because you, if you're already on one side or the other, it's very easy to see the merit in either side, right? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. My next question that's probably unanswerable is it may I I could not get it because there's so many things in the film that were what's the word right that very were very on the nose right very obvious right where it's mm. like sort of what what it's doing with particular um, with particular metaphors right it's the they're having the conversation for the first time and she's talking about you know trying to you know hunt this kind of person and the other sister Mm. brings the cat in that got the mouse and she's like oh it's you know it takes a cat right and yeah and after the after the homily of with i've got gossip you you see the feathers blowing in the winds like literally right and so it does a lot of things on the nose so it it almost so i was i kept watching the the light in the office kept like blowing out right and so it was like okay well is there a meaning to this and i had no idea i was like what's mm. 
why does the light keep going out? Was there was there something that I missed or because I didn't get it? Yeah, well, it I seems like more know. than an accident, but I don't know. It kind of has. I don't know if like the the light under the bushel basket, kind of in the background. You know, it's like. Well, there goes my light again. You know, I can't remember the exact line. But in both circumstances, they were resisting the truth of the matter, I think, hmm. which which she was trying to get at, um, which was okay. that he was was guilty. But I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a specific kind okay. of metaphor that yeah, it's so, supposed to. So maybe it's just kind of like, you know, maybe it's like a symbol of her frustration in attempting to shed light right. on something, it just keeps blowing out. And like she's got to right. keep or the light to of truth it. or something. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I hadn't, I just, I had, I had no idea, but I think maybe, I think that that might be the right answer. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. So let's see, what are, what are other questions I have? Cause there's just this, like it, it gives you way more questions than it gives you answers. Um, and it's just, it's a really interesting window into the way that the church worked at the time. And mm. again, it makes you ask questions of what is actually the right way to do things, because obviously there was a lot of corruption and a lot of issues at the time, but I'm not yeah. sure we've really fixed too many of them. And if we have fixed some, we've almost created others, right? There's that, who, I don't remember right. who says it, right? but there's that line about, right? She, she says, you know, we don't share information with priests. And on the one mm. hand, it's like, well, maybe you should share some information, right? I mean, may, maybe some information would be good. But on the other yeah. hand, you probably don't want to be like, there's this, you know, there's, there's also a line where like, okay, well, there's also like, proper boundaries for certain things too. And, and so that's like an interesting thing that we've seen in the, since like the time that's depicted in the show also, right? Because at this time, everything is extremely structured, even visually, right? Everyone's wearing a cassock, everyone's wearing their habit, Mm -hmm. right? There's particular Mm -hmm. boundaries you don't cross. Right. Right. And in the decades since it almost seems like, well, some, some places sometimes, it's almost swung too far the other way where you wonder, well, what is the boundary? Like, what does it mean to be a woman religious? What does it mean to be a priest? Right. Is there any difference? Right. Father Flynn pushes back on that. Like, Oh, we're different. He said, no, we're not, we're not different. Mm. And so again, Mm. it like forces you to ask that question. Is there actually any difference here? And if there is, what should it be? And is it a good thing And, and everything else? Yeah, and, and he, he makes lines. I can't remember what it, it was. Something up the alley of there. There's there's an order or something about the men running the show, essentially. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, right, so that that was okay. I'm glad you brought that up. That was another one of the most. That I think was the time. That's the moment where I was a hundred percent convinced. Like like this dude's a snake. Right. Like it's right. He did it. Right. Right. He totally did it the whole time. Right. Sister Aloysius is like the picture of formality and you do things by the book and there's an institution 
and a chain of command right. and a hierarchy for a reason, right? It's you go here, 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 and here, and I answer to this person, and they answer to this person, etc. And Father Flynn is sort of set up to be the complete opposite, right? Where it's more, yeah. it's more loose, it's more organic, um, it's more sort of based on well, what would be, may, what maybe is a prudent decision in the moment, as opposed to this kind of maybe like casuistic manualist kind of well, the what's the formula and do it that way. But as soon as he gets legit, like as soon as he feels like he's legitimately confronted and accused of something, the roles totally switch, right? She right, goes right. off on her own, right? And sort of mm. breaks this chain of command. And what does yeah. he do? He completely reverts to, well, did you call the pastor? That's not how you're supposed to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There and it it's is. like, Oh, Oh, now, there it is. Right. Okay. Well now, you know, now you care right now. Now we're right. worried about the way things are supposed to be done. Right. When right. you're worried that she's going to actually talk to someone who might know something and not just talk to mm. someone in the old boys club who's going to have your back. Right. Because that's part of the right. whole, the whole issue, right? She sees him out the window, right. Talking to the Monsignor. And mm. she knows, right? This is why she, it's why she made up that lie, right? No, I talked to the sister there, not the pastor, right? Because I know he's just yeah. going to cover for you. And he's like, oh, right. and, and everything else. Uh, okay, here's here's a question, actually, another question I had. Either this was a really sort of nuanced writing of this particular moment, or it's just a mistake because someone doesn't understand how the church works. The question of obedience and who Sister Aloysius owes obedience to yeah right because that's that's what he starts screaming at her about right, right. obedience and right you know what about your mm. vows and he says like you like you vowed obedience like you answer to us right like right. speaking about like the clergy right and that's not really true right she right. owes obedience right, right? she's because it's um they're the sisters of charity if i'm not mistaken because they have the very distinctive like black habit with the bonnet um <laughs> which is like saint elizabeth ann seton up in up in maryland so where, where i went to college at, yeah. at mount saint mary's is where she like they have like, statues of her there um and her old little schoolhouse okay. on the mountain right at our school so it was very very obvious right, right? this is the sisters of saint Char- um sisters of charity <laughs> And so presumably, right, she and she has a superior to answer to. Right? She's not presented as, you know, Sister Aloysius, and at least I'm not sure she's not presented as an abbess or something. I don't know. Right? I don't think so. So, I mean, obviously, techni- obviously, she's obedient to the local ordinary, to the bishop, just like any other, mm. you know, baptized Catholic is in a particular area. But she did never right. vowed obedience to the local parish priest. That's not how it works. So either, <laughs> right. Right. either it's just, either it's bad writing or yeah. it's actually really, really good writing. And you see like, like, okay, this is how this, this is how this person thinks about like women religious in comparison uh-huh. to him, that he thinks that just yeah, because that this be. is a religious sister, that he's automatically right going to have authority over her and she should be subservient to him just because he's a priest right? yeah that's, that's a good kind point of the worst yeah so i don't i wasn't sure how to take it i i, I didn't think that i thought it was bad writing when i when i watched it but you may have a point i i, I don't know i wouldn't argue either way but uh-huh. uh yeah my initial impression was just bad writing but yeah, because any in anything else, if it if it had gotten a bunch, if the movie had gotten a bunch of other things wrong about 
right the how the church works or the faith yeah. or something yeah. right, or, or anything else i i would have sort of written that off as oh it's just another example but because it did every most every other thing right like and again this is like this rorschach test right because i think that by the end he like has sort of proved himself guilty yeah, yeah. i think that's probably just i think that's i think i probably lean to the side of that being like a piece of really good writing and showing how he actually thinks of her as this sort of subservient, you know, and this sort of subservient figure who should just sort of bend to his whim just because of the collar. Right. Yeah, no, and, that's great. And I think that's why, cause I was, I was also debating cause we can get to like a few of the categories here in a moment. I don't want to push this, this episode Copy. too long because it's it's a pretty quick it's a pretty quick tight like 90 minute movie right it's just like just mm -hmm. a play you know i don't want our podcast to be longer than the movie um <laughs> we, all, we, we almost had that problem with the uh that there will be blood pod that ran like almost two hours um oh my gosh um i don't want to do that but so i, I was just like I was, you have these two sort of really heavy hitter actors in these two major parts and i think streep comes out like the most valuable, right? Cause I was trying to think, okay, could I imagine, you know, is it, is, do these two actors, do they do the best job? Could anybody else have done this, et cetera? So I was trying mm -hmm. to think, okay, well, if you put someone else in the role of sister, how would it work? If you put someone else in the role of father Flynn, would it work? And I think they're both really integral. I think they both do a really fantastic job because I think there are parts that require a lot of nuance and there's a lot of silence in the film where it's just, there's like these pregnant pauses and a lot of facial, a lot of work with facial expression and everything else. But I think Streep really holds her own in that, especially in that final scene where the two of them confront themselves. Cause she just became to me, like she became St. Paul in that moment, mm -hmm. right? Because she in, um, I can't, it's in the uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. He says that, that really sort of curious is that curious line where he talks about how, you know, he would wish himself to be damned for the sake of his brethren. And yeah. like, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. would you, would you actually wish yourself to be damned? Like, is this like a, some, is this like rhetorical? Is it just sort of a, yeah. a way of speaking and everything else? And, yeah. and so aside from the fact, aside from the sort of messy issue of whether or not she should have like just straight up lied to try and get what, you know, the answer she wanted out of him. Right. So apart from that, right. When she goes on that and we can talk about it because I think both she and father Flynn have some kind of some odd views about certain things that I want to ask you about um, that like that are again, like, I'm, like, is this just bad? Is it bad writing? Is it really good writing? Cause I just don't understand what they're talking about, but she goes, she basically says like, I'll get myself excommunicated if that's what it takes to sort of bring mm. you to the truth, right? Because mm. no, I don't owe you obedience, right? She she sort of right. responds to this right. this claim by him. She's like, no, no, I don't owe you obedience. And if it takes me getting kicked out of the church to sort of prove that you've done what you've done, well, then so be it, right? You know, yeah. Well, and I think that it that ties yeah it ties into kind of her last or the last scene about ongoing doubts and uh -huh. I, I think that you know could play into the character who would say something like that yeah well since you mentioned it i'll i'll ask you now because i think I'll, I'll i'll forget it that was 
the last again again there's just, it's so it's they're so vague so many times i couldn't figure out and maybe it's all three maybe the answer is all three i couldn't figure out is she talking she says i have such doubts i have such doubts and that's how it ends right. and so is it is she have doubts about his guilt does she have doubts mm-hmm. about how she handled the situation because she admits that she lied about it right she doubts right. about that right or is she having a kind of greater crisis of faith that sort of takes you right. all the way back to the opening lines with the initial homily about doubt, right? Is, is has mm. this situation sort of caused her to doubt just the whole thing, right? Whether it's the, right. you know, the institution of the church or her faith in general. Um, right. And it doesn't give you an answer. Like I'm, I'm probably pressed to think that it's more of the last two. I don't think all of a sudden she'd have doubts about whether she thinks he's guilty or not. She spends the entire no, I don't think so. suspicious yeah. of him, right? I, I think that but, one's pretty certain for her. Yeah. But I think it's probably one of the other two, if not both of them, which is really mm. interesting. It is. I would... She's, I mean, she seems so certain about her way of doing things, her way of fighting for the truth, it almost, I would argue, exclusively the third, uh, namely about about okay. general faith, or faith in general, and because she grabs a crucifix and, you know, bends over crying, and, and, and it seems, at least that was my take, yeah, you can argue mm-hmm. the point, but I, I would argue that it seems more about the, the meta question of just doubt, and, and the role that... Um, authority plays in conveying or in acting towards uh, whatever position they, they hold. For instance, a, po- a politician, right, who's not a good politician causes doubt in the constituents about the political system. And in this case, the role of a priest in conveying the truth that he's supposedly going to stand for. And that, that was my take on that and it left me i I thought it was if that's what it was supposed to convey it was it was was a good question i think and one that's pertinent to our minds um, uh, at at the moment even yeah it does invite that sort of question of theodicy right that's it so i think yeah if you press me i think i probably agree with you right just this whole idea i mean i can't I've never been in that situation, right? Thank God. Like I haven't had to, you know, make my own decisions about something like right. that or try, you know, try to sort of face something because you can, you can tell how powerless she feels a lot of the time, right? She, yeah, she talks a, a big game and I think she's really, I think she's really confident in her own abilities, right? She talks about how, you know, cause he says, you know, Oh, I'll fight you. And she says, I will, I'm going to win. Right, I'll fight. Right. I'm gonna win. Right, right? she she doesn't back down, but I think it comes out, and we, we I don't think we've talked about this really at all. It comes out in the conversation with Donald's the little boy's mother, right? When they go on that walk and they have that conversation, she's trying to sort of delicately bring up the problem, and she finally just comes out and says it, and. They get into this, and again, there's so much subtext in the film because there's so much mm-hmm. that goes sort of unsaid and it's just supposed to be understood. And right. Sister Aloysia says something to the effect of, you know, talking about how she sort of understands, like, the dynamic. And, you know, Mrs. You know, Mrs. Miller basically says, no, you don't understand. 
this dynamic. Mm. And it's very clear, at least in my mind, it's very clearly a racial issue where she was sort of pushing back on Sister Aloysius's complete identification with her situation. Because like, okay, right. it might be a woman, right, right in the 1960s, yep. and, you know, feeling like you don't have any power against the sort of institutional male hierarchy, right? So you may not feel like you have any power there, but you mm. don't really understand what it's like to feel oppressed because that's my position here. Yeah, right? truly. Because they talk about how Donald, he's the first... He's the first black student that they've had in the school and how they've been worried right. that that's going to cause cause issues because it was the, the, the same exact year, 64, as the Civil Rights Act, right? Mm. And so you're going through all of the same stuff there. Right. And so that is just also a really interesting dynamic that occurs there. And it's so quick. I mean, I mean, I think... Right, that that character's only on screen for five or six minutes or so. That's um, true. Uh, but she's great. I mean, the casting in this was fantastic. Viola Davis. I mean, that's it. Yeah. No, it, it, it was perfect. But that was one of the more because right, one of the you know one of the other questions we we tend to talk about because we you know we tend to you know pick more you know, have more serious choices here than others. You know, what's the most traumatic moment in the movie, right? And, I mean, mm. a decent answer is probably just, well, I mean, the the 93 minutes of the movie, like, that's that's the most traumatic <laughs> right. moment, right? the whole thing, right. Right? right? But the moment where the sister basically, like, confronts her and says, oh, I think this is what's happening, and the mother's like, well, I mean it's only going to last a few more months. Like, so what? Yeah. She's like, yeah. wait, wait, what, what did you just say? I know like, what, what, what kind of mother are you? <laughs> I know. And it's just, it's, it's unbelievable that she says that. And yet at the same time, if you try and okay, well, why, why would she possibly, how could she possibly say that? But if she's in this position where she feels, okay, there's the boy has an abusive father we live in, we you know we're in sort of a cultural situation where he had to come to this school because he mm-hmm. was getting like physically abused at this other school. Right. So now you're telling me that you you maybe think that this priest right. is abusing my son in a different way. Well, if I have to choose between him being abused here and abused there, like a, it's a rock and a hard place. So like, what do you, and then she, she asked, she says, what do you expect from me? Like, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm just trying to get yeah. into a good high yeah. school and a good college and have him live a better life. And so, I mean, there's a part of you that at least understands the logic of where she's right. coming from. If she feels completely powerless either way. Yeah. Right. It's why she no, says, right? she says, you know, leave my son out of it. Cause if his father finds out that this has happened, he's going to kill him. I know it's, it, it leaves you and uh, you know, it's nothing I can sympathize with. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was just, that's the most sort of heartrending moment. And that actually made me think that this is a completely, you know, completely extra textual to everything else. But it was really interesting that your right, sister Aloysius right, tells the mother, oh, yeah, I was married once and my husband died in the war and um, mm-hmm. and now I'm this. So like you sort of she's presented as like the dragon from the beginning. So you just kind of just assume she was born in a habit and a ruler in hand. 
right? Right. For her entire, you know, 65 years. And, but then you get that <laughs> moment. And so then she go, they go and have this conversation. So for me, it was like, well, and she feels, she seems to genuinely be completely taken aback by this reaction. Like she couldn't imagine a mother saying this kind of thing. So it never, right. it never hints that she herself ever had children, but at least, I mean, if she was married, right, you would imagine that she'd at least have thought about children. And so now yeah. she's in a position yeah, yeah, where absolutely. she's a principal and taking care of children and looking out for them. Um, yeah, it made her, you know, it obviously made you feel a particular way about the mother, but it made it made Sister Aloysius even that much more sympathetic, right? That her yeah, entire totally agree. You find you finally a hundred percent believe her that she actually yeah. is on the side of the kid for the sake of the kid and not just for the sake of order in the school, right? Right, absolutely. Um, sometimes we talk about uh, could there be a spinoff or a sequel nominee I don't think I want any of those things for this um, no, let's no just, I read that question and <laughs> the exact same yeah. yeah, we're done uh, Yeah, I don't need a Father Flynn arrives at St. Jerome story I don't need to see that yeah. um, no, pass. You know, I don't need like a Sister Aloysius origin story I don't need any of that this is you know, this is untouchable, right? It's it is what it is. Yeah. It was so unique and sort of idiosyncratic in its own sort of particular way that I'm kind of done. This is that's yeah. good. Um, it's not really a. I don't know if I'd call it a rewatchable film, right? It's not like oh, it's Friday night. What do you want to watch? Let's watch. Yeah, it down. no, that right. was that was yeah, exact same. I yeah, asked the rating what we would rate it out of ten. Uh-huh. I was like, man, I thought it was pretty good, but. Definitely, I would not watch this again. <laughs> yeah. So that, that leads me to a question. I was going to actually ask it right off, right at the beginning of our conversation, but I figured I'd hold it maybe till now. So having said that, right, and having talked about how the different ways that we've been traumatized by this movie and been confused by it, um, if someone said, should I watch this movie or not, uh, like, what would your answer be? Like, if you, if, like, if you think someone should watch this, right, like, why would we even recommend this movie at all to anyone I right mean, at the end like aren't we is it like oh well we watched it we talked about it and uh, but you shouldn't go watch it right no i was, I, th- I think the conversation after and it, and it leads to again just for me i really appreciate the frankness and the the um and, and the accuracy with which this particular situation was portrayed and the fact that it wasn't a smear campaign. It left you with kind of deep, real questions, especially as Catholics. I wouldn't sway someone from watching it. I think if, if you want an honest depiction, if, if um, someone who's been hurt, not even in this way, by the, by the church, and to open up an avenue of conversation up that, those lines. Um, I don't know. What about you? Yeah, so this it's it's kind of the question I've been trying to wrestle with since seeing it before having our conversation, right? This idea, because for most most of the most of the films we do are that you know that we sort of have sort of planned in the pipeline in the future. I think it's pretty either people have just seen them where they're sort of recognized classics, but this yeah. is what I wanted to do specifically because there's very few films that deal with faith and especially like the Catholic religion in a serious way mm. that 
is very explicit, right? I mean, most, right. I mean, most, most good stories, at least nowadays, tend to be made by sort of secular creators. And so they're not really going to be dealing explicitly with these themes, but this one actually was. And so I wanted to sort of explore these sort of these conversation topics like you're talking about with what does it actually mean to deal with this in reality and on the ground. Right. So I think for people, like you said, for people who have a lot of questions about this time period, I think that's a reason to watch it. For people who are trying to understand um, maybe, because uh, I mean, one of the big questions about this is always like, well, how could you let, how could this have happened? How could people have sort of let this happen? Mm. I think, I don't think this tells the whole story, right? But it tells a story yeah. of a particular situation in which someone saw something and tried to do something about it. And you, you, you see the obstacles that are in the way. Right. Right. Cause it's like, she says, Oh, like I found out, right. You've been into three different parishes in five different years. They keep moving you around. And then in the end, mm. she gets what she wants in, in one way. Cause she gets an out of right. her school and her parish. But right. even that just results, like she yeah. says in him getting a promotion somewhere else. Right. Yeah. So you kind of see yeah. that she, she wins in one way, but loses in another way because it just becomes somebody else's problem, right? And then on top of the specific example, right, of this particular individual story, it does open up these interesting, more existential questions um, about, like we, like we said, with doubt and certainty. And that was that was one of the other things I wanted to. So there's two, there's two different, because our, our sort of last category is best quote. Um, this one, this one's a, this was a little more difficult, I think. Um, yeah, right, I, this, I had you know, trouble with that one. Yeah. Like, oh, what, you know, oh, what classic line from the 2008, you know, doubt movie you're going to be thinking about. <laughs> but at the very beginning, he has the homily, he, he starts the movie with his homily on doubt. Right. And he talks about, what does he say? I think I, I felt like I, I wrote it down somewhere here in my notes, right? He talks about doubt being in a way that I don't think is actually true at all. And again, it's like, okay, is this, is this a projection of the writer who doesn't quite grasp the nuance of what it means to doubt in the context of faith or does father right. Flynn just not really get it at all. And I think that's a really mm -hmm. interesting question because he says, Oh, well he uses the, the example of, I think it's the, so the Kennedy assassination, maybe, and he talks about, oh, we were all sort of in mourning about this thing, so we experienced this tragic thing that brought us together. And then he uses the example of doubt, and he says, when you doubt, when you feel right. alone, you can feel united, and that can be just as strong as faith. Right. Yeah. And and you're watching, and and hopefully your reaction as an audience member is well, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's yeah. not true. That's not, that's false. Right. Like that doesn't work because <laughs> doubt, right. Doubt does, doubt does the, the opposite of that. It, it, it isolates you. It makes you question and be suspicious. And I just, I, I don't think that that's true at all. Cause it's not something doubt ultimately, or sometimes we need to ask questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, I think he conflates those. At least that was my opinion, right? He's conflating doubt with questions or obstacles in my mind. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like the ever skepticism or ever. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm also, I had the same reaction. Yeah. Cause what he seems to be describing 
in certain parts is, you know, what we might call the dark night of the soul, right? This experience of not, because he uses the example, I think, of the, the sailor who starts off and sees the stars and knows where he's going, but then the night comes and the storm comes and he can't see the stars anymore. And so he's right. like, well, am I going the right way? Like, I used to think I knew where I was going, but I can't see anymore. Right. So, you know, should I doubt myself or should I keep going with what I knew to be true earlier? Only once, right? Is, yeah, I think that that's something true. I think everyone experiences that. But to me, that's, that's a more of like what the the Christian mystical tradition will talk about is the dark night of the soul, the sort of experience of not being able to see clearly or, or being able to ask questions or just having this experience right. kind of this sort of desolate spiritual experience where you can't feel anything in your emotions, mm. even if you know, like intellectually something might be true, but he calls that, he calls that doubt. And I'm just not right. sure that's really actually true. That's, I'm, pretty sure you're certain it's not true <laughs> yeah because again like not not to keep talking about newman but right New, newman has that famous quote where he says i think it's newman or is it fulton sheen maybe it's fulton sheen actually he says something like um you know a thousand obstacles no don't make a doubt or a thousand difficulties i don't know don't make like one one doubt or something and, and it's like yeah that's that's definitely true i, I can I can have a lot of obstacles to something I know to be true or I'm convinced is true, but it doesn't mean that I'm actually doubting that it's true. Right? I can have a lot of questions, which everybody does. And I think this brings up, and I think that's one of the reasons why in the end we were talking about sister Aloysius having this sort of that third level doubt of these sort of more existential faith-based doubts. Cause yeah. she's just dealt with this horrific situation. And you, you ask, well, if, you know, like, how could something this horrible happen, right, in a world that's supposed to be sort of governed by God's providence? Or how is this mm. possible? Right? Right. So you can know one thing to be true, that God exists and that he's good, and yet still feel uncomfortable and still need to wrestle with these really hard questions and really hard things right. that happen in your own life. And I mean, <laughs> is there anything like more sort of deserving of that question than the suffering of a child? Right? No, no, it's yeah, but it's, it's the, it's the questioning or it's the ultimate doubt about then about his providence and seeing mm-hmm. these horrific things, as you said, and, it has it has consequences, or it can have consequences when you then become unsure of of providence itself. You know. Yeah, and then the last, the last or the second quote, maybe I think was first. It's towards the beginning where Sister James is sort of. Sister Aloysius basically tells Sister James, like, look, I'm starting to be a little suspicious. Keep your eyes out, everything else. Um, and Sister James basically says, you know, I'm, I'm not really comfortable with that, right? Because Sister Aloysius says, well, what have you seen? And she says, well, it's unsettling to look at people with suspicion. I feel less right. close to God. And I right. think that, that that's like a really honest sort of heartfelt sentiment right if you if you if you're automatically just being suspicious everyone i think we talked about this a little bit earlier right it's you feel less connected to people and when you feel less connected to people in your community right you probably will feel sort of less connected and so she says right i feel less close to god and sister aloysius counters with and she what does she say she says basically you know in the pursuit of wrongdoing 
you take a step away from God. Right, right. Yeah. And I think well, that's that's the genesis of her noble lie, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So that was well, just really again, I it was like, well, that's not true. Right? That's mm-hmm. just not true. And and maybe she right. believes that. Maybe she right. believes that that's actually true and that that's the only way that you can get at something like this. And so for her, right, she's convinced, okay, the only way I'm going to get at what's true in the pursuit of this wrong thing that has happened is if I do something on my own that I'm not proud of, but like, I just, it's something right. I have to do. Right. But obviously, right. The, the Catholic tradition said, well, no, that's not actually, well, first of all, you, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> right. You shouldn't <laughs> do something bad in hopes of getting a good outcome. Right? right. That's just basic sort of consequentialism. Right. Well, I'll do this bad thing because I know chances are it'll result in something good. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so so you can't do that. Right. So it's this kind of intention thing. I think I had a, um, Steve Long, my old like moral philosophy um, mm-hmm. professor. You see, you see, you see the example. And it's I mean, like I, I loved I love teaching like ethics and moral theology because you always you can use the most extreme and and the best examples it's the most fun to come up with like ridiculous <laughs> things to talk about and That's he used great. to use the example he'd say well okay it's a really good thing to intend to get um you know let's say you have a bad heart and you're going to die in a year if you don't get any heart it's a good thing to intend wanting and desiring a new heart right to get a heart transplant but if you're in line for a heart you can't just murder the person in front of you <laughs> and say, well, my intention is to get a new heart for myself. It just happened, right, happened right. to be the means the you're like your, your death at my hands <laughs> just happens to be the means by which I'm going to do it. Right. Oh, but he meant well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's his intention, right? That's, it's about yeah. consequence, right? Now, obviously this isn't that extreme of an example, right? I think, I don't think anyone would think, making up a story about who you talk to to try and get someone to admit something bad is as bad as murdering the other heart transplant patients in front of you so you could get to the top of the list. I don't think anyone's going to be arguing that. But the idea, that that sentiment though, right? The the pursuit of wrongdoing puts you a step further from God. I just don't think that that's true at all. I just don't think that Mm. that works. You can obviously put yourself, you can take steps away from what's good and what's true and what's right. That's, I mean, like she does, she takes that step, which she clearly is sort of dealing with at the end, whether or not she, right. she did the right thing. But that's right, well, just, that's, on the face of it, that's just not true. Yeah. That And that would be my one kind of, again, maybe this is just me, as you said, the Rorsch test, whatever, just looking at myself, you, you want the hero, right? You, you want, uh, you want her to have fought well and totally well. And you want her to, you know, then still trust in the Lord, have faith and live a good life and all that. And mm-hmm. that, that would be my one kind of qualm with the, the movie is that there's, <laughs> there's yeah. no happy ending, you know, which yeah, is like uh, in some uh-huh. many circumstances. So, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, it's a minor stumble. Yeah, of course. Right? But it's still, you, like you said, you want you want it to be like a you want it to be a complete victory for her, and it's just not right. in the end, right? Um, you know, e- even if you, even if you were to, because there's also that there's this sort of two sided debate when it comes to this kind of 
devotion to the truth, right? You, you kind of think of the, right. You know, it's the sort of classic question of like the Nazi who shows up your, your yeah, door and yeah. asks if you're, are you hiding Jews under the floorboards, right. right? One position takes this extremely sort of hard line. Well, you can't ever tell a lie and that's a lie. And yeah, then there's absolutely. another position taken by, by people as eminent as like Peter Kreeft, for instance, who, who puts it in a different category, moral category altogether, what's happening. And he says, well, yes, it's a, of course it's wrong to lie. But in that situation, that's not what you're doing. Right. right. So I think this probably the think this you could you could say, well, maybe this falls into that category. Right. Well, you know, right. That, I think it I think it forces you to ask that question, because honestly, I mean, if I'm in her position, that's would I make that decision. Would I do that? Like so I can easily oh, yeah. imagine. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like I would totally do that to protect this kid. Right. And so. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, well, is she being too hard on herself? Like, did she, you know, how is she feeling? I mean, so regardless of actually what it would sort of objectively be, she clearly considers this to be a moral misstep on her behalf, on her part. Right. So it sort of causes this, this existential crisis of identity in what she's done. Right. So, yeah, but I, I do think out of anything, I think that line of this being, you know, when you pursue wrongdoing, you take a step away from God. I think that might be the one line I think. I just don't think that that, I think that's just flat wrong. I think all the other things are really nuanced and uh, do something like the characters, like attempting to be manipulative in some way. But I think yeah. this, I think sister actually does believe that that's true. And that's why she feels so distraught at the end. Right. Yeah. I, I would, I'd agree. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. Anything else we missed? Any questions you had that remain unanswered? Uh, I I think we've hit pretty much everything I have. Uh, yeah, so aside again, from, I'm, of course, yeah, go ahead. Sister James's character development, I think yeah. <laughs> I think most things are are laid out. Yeah, in the end, she's still like mm, meh. Just, just Charlie Brown. That's who she is. Yeah. Maybe it's fitting that it's set at Christmas, right? Just Christmas Charlie Brown. Just walk off into the, walk off into the night and just, just be yourself. That's funny. All right. Well, yeah, I don't think I'm going to be rewatching this anytime soon, but it is a good film. I'm glad that I watched it. I'm glad we had this conversation and hopefully it's, um, yeah, I, I think it's good. It was good to talk with someone like you about this. Um, like with the two of us being sort of, you know, not, not that it's, not that it's inside baseball, right. But it helps when you're dealing with something that's so explicitly about one particular thing, like the church, it helps to sort of talk about this with people who are sort of have skin in the game. Um, yeah, yeah, this was good. All right. Next time. Yeah. Next time we're going to have to do something a lot more optimistic, that we can feel good will, about in the end. Yeah, look forward to it. <laughs> that we, can, we can feel good about rewatching multiple times. Yeah, can sit down again on a Friday night and watch it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Perfect. All right, well, have a good one, man. All right, you too, Josh. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much for listening today. If you're a fan of the podcast, consider rating and reviewing us anywhere you happen to be listening. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google, Audible, anything, anywhere you are. You could also consider supporting us on Patreon. It's a new endeavor. We're only a couple episodes in, but hopefully this becomes a regular thing going forward and we can become uh, more regular, more frequent, and we can continue doing this for some time to come. Hope to see you next time. <laughs>